What's up, future changemakers? You're listening to Impact India, a podcast that deep dives into the epic stories of social entrepreneurs and social innovation in India. Impact India is sponsored by CauseArtist, your go-to social impact lifestyle online platform for all things social goodness around the world. And I'm your host, Jasmine Rain, social entrepreneur and director of content at CauseArtist. You can connect with me on Instagram at Jasmine Rain. All right, no stopping us now, full speed ahead. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Impact India. Um, I'm really, really excited because today we are diving into my favorite industry, which is tourism. Um, so today on the show, I have Kush Sharma, who is a naturalist at heart with a passion for promoting and preserving the indigenous cultures of India using sustainable tourism as his platform. Oh, I love it. Um, Kush is a firm believer of learning from native wisdom in nature and works actively with young children as an outdoor educator. He's also the founder of Rural Odyssey, a social enterprise that promotes sustainable tourism as an additional livelihood opportunity for the rural communities within NHL. Uh, by building community-owned and community-led tourism models. In his free time, he is out climbing the rock faces in uh, Eravali mountain range, um, enjoys bird watching, painting, and reading about India's diverse communities. Oh, I, I like just your bio alone makes me so excited. Kush, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Jasmine. I'm equally excited. Uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, we connected quite randomly. I think you reached out to me, uh, maybe I guess at the beginning of quarantine, and we chatted about, you know, some of the challenges right, right, that right. we were going through yeah. um, at that time. And my goodness, that was almost like you know, that was almost three months ago, or maybe two months ago. I think it was beginning of the quarantine itself. Yeah, like, uh, I have been following your work with Hara House from quite some time, and then I got to know about Sustainable Travel Network as well. But uh, I was just waiting for the right time, I think, to get in touch. You know. Oh, well, I was not exactly sure what was, yeah. And then uh, I think in January or February, you decided to uh, like shut uh, Hara House in Bikaner. Right. Yes, we did. Yeah. So like I somehow knew, you know, you're still in the network. So why not, yeah. you know, build something even more beautiful after the this entire COVID-19 fiasco ends or even during that. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, like, uh, it's, you know, obviously, I hate to say that we had to close the Bikaneer house due to, um, well, due due to many reasons, and, you know, a lack of tourism and trying to, for us to build that up was becoming quite challenging, and it became evident that, you know, our, as our organization grew, um, I realized that the house was actually like the weakest link it was what was being left behind because our programs and our youth engagement uh was so successful but true, you know true, true. running a zero waste guest house in a city um like Bikanir was becoming more and more it, challenging and there's also, exactly exactly also a lot of politics and you know i think that's actually a great um segue into you know i'm such a fan of what you do like uh I really, I would love to know kind of how you decided because, you know, for me, it was kind of like, okay, well, I was working in Bikaneer, I was working on this, you know, development project specifically with waste management, with right. youth, and I was like, the best way to really leverage this isn't through a nonprofit model, it's through a social enterprise model. And that would, and to me, tourism is what screamed that because, you know, that's a way for us True. to actually make sure that we are 
true, true. providing these yeah. extremely beautiful experiences for travelers coming to India. And right, then the money right. is being directly invested in the community. So, you know, how did you come to figure out that, you know, uh, tourism was going to be your go-to platform for empowering indigenous communities in the Himalayas? So it's, it's uh, I mean, I had never thought, I mean, uh, if you go back five years, six, six years down the line, I mean, I had never thought okay, I'll do something like this. It just happened accidentally, like right after my job, I like right after my college, which was back in 2012. So I just started traveling quite a lot. And it happened so much that I was traveling almost every month or something. And even then, I never thought of something like this. It just happened in one or two such experiences that, you know, I was in need of a help and I, I was in dire need of help in some of the places. I was traveling by myself, no place to stay, no hotels, no nothing. It was just really small villages. And like the communities there, one family or the two families, like they literally hosted me, gave me the best food, gave me the best, you know, beddings and freezing temperatures. That's when kind of it hit, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, such a easy life that we are living in uh, cities and yet we are not content. You know, there is a, competition for, for better pay raise, bigger house, bigger car, branded clothes and people up there, they are living so, uh, how do you say it? They're living such a beautiful life. You know, they're, they're not complaining about anything. The hard work, amount of hard work they are doing, whether it's physical labor or whether it's, you know, any, any kind of uh, work that they are doing, they put hundred percent in it, probably more. And yet they are not, complaining and I would say like most of them are content as well so it was an inspiration from them that there's so much that we need to learn from them and as a side product of it I would say ki, I mean, my intention was never to empower them my intention was I would say ki, I wanted to empower myself and people like me who are living in the cities you know fighting for petty things or mm. I would say like becoming ambitious for petty things and the the how it turned out was ki I obviously wanted ki if we are learning something from them, if we are taking something from them, then there must be something that we, you know, we could give something, whether it's, I would say it's a formal education or more awareness, more opportunities being living in, living in a city, you know, we definitely have more opportunities than a person who is the same age or in a village. So it was more about, exchange of information between the two communities and exchange of skills livelihood comes as a very significant you know part of it because right now everything is counted as money that's unfortunately so what attracted the communities was the livelihood of it but uh, the drive from us was it's not just money but it's a holistic approach for the two communities to come together it's urban and rural Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Like everything you're saying is, I'm totally vibing with it. And uh, I, I've never heard anyone actually say like, it was actually to empower myself. And I love that you said that because something I've been talking about a lot lately is, you know, this idea that, you know, in terms of approaching things like sustainably or consciously or, you know, engaging in sustainable tourism or sustainable activities, you know, right. it's, it's not convenient, <laughs> you know, you have yeah. to really go out of your way to do the research, to, 
you know, kind of DIY things to, you know, make sure things are aligned with your values. And, you know, a big part of that journey is getting yourself to get out of your bubble and empower yourself to make a shift, to make a change so that you can continually, you know, um, empower or give or exchange with others. Um, and I just think it's so beautiful that you said that because, um, you know, we, we forget that we're also very selfish human beings. Like that's just humanity. You know, we're, we are selfish and it, it is important that we do have to look within and look at, you know, what can I do for myself first to make myself, you know, better at X, Y, Z so that I can give a community or, you know, my intimate community or whether it's a community in the Himalayas like X, Y, Z. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's no denying that fact. And uh, I mean, uh, people do get surprised by it. But uh, I had I had heard of the word sustainability and what it is, but I had never heard of sustainable travel. So I mean, when I started this and then people were like, you know, there's a huge sustainable travel community, a global community. In fact, you should connect with them. That's when I started reading and happened to come across some really interesting projects, not just in India, but outside India as well. So that's when I thought ki, I mean, there are two sides of sustainable travel. One is the business side of it. That is people who know that there is a, you know, there is a pool of travelers who want to travel consciously. But for us, uh, I mean, it started very naturally. Ki if you are, you know, if you are bringing some, someone at such a beautiful and vulnerable place, then there must be some ethics and conscience you need, that you need to follow. And I mean, that's how kind of we entered into the, sustainable tourism so okay here's my my hard question because i feel like it's different for everybody how do you define sustainable uh, tourism well i won't be put able to put like there is no concrete definition of sustainable tourism i feel you know but for us it's uh, for me specifically i would say it's regenerative you know it's uh, learning from each other from the traveler and the traveled and the impact it should create it should not just it's not a just a monetary or ecological impact it has to be you know social awareness cultural awareness social awareness in terms of you know of someone who is living in delhi bangalore or anywhere in the world when they are getting to know about different communities in india whether it's odisha whether it's northeast india so that kind of awareness and tourism is such a beautiful tool to create that kind of awareness. And what comes uh, the economic uh, benefits of it, I would say, ki, I mean, that's the last thing that comes with it. That should be, you know, if, if you are giving a weightage to social and cultural awareness and the environmental benefits that uh, tourism could create, I mean, the economic benefit would get the least weightage. I mean, that's my personal opinion, though. Yeah, I feel like so, obviously the government would disagree, but I'm all for it. Like, I'm I totally very sure, agree yeah. with you. <laughs> I'm very sure. Yeah, I, I mean, if done the right way, it is, a, it is the best tool out there for regenerative, you know, what do you call it? It's regenerative lifestyle or communities or, you know, a regenerative movement. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm curious, how... How do you feel about, you know, the way that, you know, local domestic uh, Indian tourists connect with, you know, culturally rich and like indigenous communities in India? Do you, where do you think, you know, there should be more connection and, you know, 
what do you kind of think that, that the travel, I know obviously looking at the future of travels right. is a little bit um, uncertain at the moment, but in terms of local domestic travelers connecting with these more rural um, spaces, like where do you, what do you think is missing in making that more of a mainstream form of travel? Yeah, I, I feel like the, the way the domestic, most of the domestic tourism happens, there is not so much of connection that happens one, there is lack of offerings, I would say, as well. Second is, uh, you know, like this is something that I have realized and it was very difficult for us to change. Like when you're talking about sustainable travel or responsible travel, I mean, the cost of it goes up because uh, when you're talking about paying ethical wages to everyone that is who is involved with you and you're talking about regulated tourism as well at the same time. So the cost goes up. And somewhere, you know, the, the kind of market that exists in India, whether it's a trekking or whether it's just a normal, I would say, 10-day trip to Nagaland or anywhere in the, in the country. I mean, there are so many options that people don't get to connect with the communities. At the end of the day, it becomes the, like, the, the tourism to check off your bucket list or for your social media profiles. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you nailed it there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the concept of slow travel, I think it's it lacks in India because uh, I've been following a lot of influencers in the traveling industry. I mean, people who have like hundred or hundred thousand or two hundred thousand followers, and the, the the way you know they are portraying themselves and the kind of influence they have, and even with with that kind of influence, you don't see them talking about slow travel. You'll see them, you know, going to an indigenous community, posing for pictures. And like when you go into the details, you'll realize that they spent for like eight hours there. It was a sponsored trip. And they got some pictures of women not wearing any blouse or just wearing beautiful indigenous jewelry. So that's something that, I mean, not just uh, like it burns me from within, but it's, it's very, I don't know how to call it. It's very sad as well. So somehow domestic tourism is getting influenced by that, I would say, majority of it, at least, if not. Obviously, there are good people as well. And we have had those kind of people on our, uh, on our trips. But it's not a mass movement yet. Yeah, I, uh, I feel like the topic of social media, like, makes me, like, go crazy because... Um, the power that people have on social media to push right. uh, a lifestyle, a message, an experience is right. just like, it's, yeah, the, it's so influential. And unfortunately, right. you know, uh, most young people, especially are, I feel like some young people are definitely like, you know, getting on board with understanding that they need to be more mindful in the decisions. Yeah, definitely. The number is increasing, but still, yeah. I mean, uh, we are not in the majority. Definitely And not. there is a long way to go. Yeah. And I'll I'll give you an example. Sorry to yeah, interrupt please, no, no, you. Please please do, I just wanted do. to. So yeah, have you ever been to Nagaland for? Ah, I wish. Not yet. Yeah. So there is a village in Nagaland called Longwa. It's right at the border of India and Burma. And the Angs, who is the village chieftain, Ang's house is, half of the house is in India and half of the house is in Burma. So when you go to that village and Konyak tribe, Konyak Naga tribe uh, is in that region. So they're known for facial tattoos. And they were the last of headhunters, Naga headhunters. So when you go there and you go to an old man 
and so i've been there quite a few times when you go there so if you're taking a picture of any of the old man who is who has the facial tattoo you know they'll just uh, put their hand in front of you asking for money so that's tourism gone wrong and it's not just the fault of travelers but it's fault of the facilitators people like us i would say i mean the tour operators who facilitated this but you know i i guess that's right. that's a question of like well what what is the role of a traveler when they go to these more vulnerable or culturally rich communities and because you know if right. you know, if they notice that you know their tour guide or their tour operator um or you know even the um you know representative at like the hotel or you know guest house right a comp- you know whatever they're engaging with the person that's kind of showing them that local community if they're in the wrong like what what do you believe the role of the traveler is to kind of step up don't go there with an intention of photographing people who have facial tattoos you know go there with an intention of actually learning up something about them if you get engage them in a conversation like you're talking to them every day for like 3 to 4 hours i mean they themselves will you know ask you for photographs so i've lived in such not just nagaland but i've lived in such beautiful places with beautiful communities for i mean in many many regions so i feel it's it's slow travel really needs to come in there especially when you're you know with uh, when you're spending time with the community or when you're traveling a region which is rich for their indigenous communities or indigenous culture so you need you should spend time there like it should not be a days thing that should be the i would say ki the responsibility of a traveler ki make sure you have time when you are going to these regions so that you are not in rush i'm like i'm not saying ki no like you don't like to photograph them like obviously they are different you want to photograph them you want to put it out there and you know you want people to know about them but be respectful to the culture when you are just going there and all right ki you know i have money and i can take your pictures by giving you money that's not respectful yeah 100% it also immediately puts a divide among like well i'm here traveling from somewhere that you haven't been and i have the money exactly. to, to make you pose for a photo true, true, true. you know and you know something that uh someone made me aware of this um a few years ago and it it was always something that really haunted me and it was the idea that you know especially with you know uh you know i guess one of the biggest examples i can connect with is obviously like being a foreigner you come to india you want to you right. know take pictures with uh you know very diverse looking women and children specifically you know and something that really made me feel like really icky is the fact that apparently you know by by taking photos of young kids and like tagging the location in these different you know especially in developing countries in rural settings you know tagging the location of where you took the photo it actually puts that child at risk of child of like child trafficking or human trafficking and you know i started thinking about that more in terms of like these indigenous communities where you know they're already so vulnerable and then you're putting their image and their identity online without their permission and it's it can spiral and i think this is a topic that not enough people speak or, or talk about or dive into because it's obviously one that people you know immediately like oh i don't want to talk about that like that's you know that can't be right i'm not contributing to that but you know that's just one example of you know 
you don't realize the long-term effects Absolutely. of, of what Absolutely. you're doing to that community. That can be, you know, external forces coming in. And also the way that the youth, um, you know, would grow up in that community and then start demanding like outlandish things from travelers when they come, um, you know, like, and, and then, and then we see foreigners who complain about like, Oh, like I hated going to red fort because everyone wanted to take a selfie with me. Yeah. And it's like, well, unfortunately, you know, this is a stereotype that you guys, you know, that us as foreigners really have created in coming to these destinations. So, you know, I, I'd love for you to speak more on like, you know, as someone local to India, you know, what are other things that you think should be observed as a traveler coming in? Uh, because, you know, I think it's actually even harder to tackle domestic travelers um, going to these communities because, you know, they, there's maybe a sense of connection that's already built as someone who is from the nation. But in terms of, of a foreigner, you know, where else can they step up to be a more responsible traveler in, in more vulnerable communities? I would say that I, I wish, you know, what you said about domestic tourism, that was true. But unfortunately, um, I mean, I have not really noticed it. Uh, oh, that breaks my heart. I mean, yeah. I would I hope mean, people, that people would have a connection coming in. But I mean, I mean that, then again, like I've had people come to the Zero Waste Guest House and buy Maggie yeah. for like three days in a row. And I'm like, what? You <laughs> know, like they're just completely unaware. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, people should not come with preconceived uh, notions, I would say, Ki, you know, all right, India is a poor country, we are going to photograph children, this and that. So it's, it's like, it, it has happened to us quite a few times, not quite a few times, but a, like a couple of times that, you know, people come with preconceived notions, oh, you're taking us to a village and what's the, like, how do people live there? Is it hygienic? Is it unhygienic? So like, these are some uh, very, I would say, f frequent questions that we get as an operator who take people to villages. So one is like preconceived notions about the, you know, the social life there, about the cultural aspects of the region. Like don't judge people for their habits, you know, because their habits have been, are the, like the reason for their habits is the thousands and thousands of, thousands years old. Like for example, like there's animism in uh, Nagaland. They, they eat a lot of different things. I mean, all right, you're a vegan, you're a vegetarianism, but you cannot complain about why they're eating animals. It has been there like for 2000 years when they're not, it's not going to change in one day or two days. So don't come with preconceived notions, have an opinion, okay, but be flexible to change that opinion as well once you get in conversations and try to engage in conversations. And uh, that's where I think the person who is facilitating it or the organization who is facilitating it comes in, facilitating uh, conversations. Mm. Because until and unless there are no conversations in between the traveler and the person who is being traveled or the community who is being traveled, I mean, things are not going to change. The traveler is just going to go back with few memories and pictures. But if the traveler gets to exchange stories with the local communities, Suppose they are, you know, telling about their experiences, what happened in some XYZ country in Europe and what happens here, how things are similar, how things are not similar, what are, what are the differences. That, that, that's something that creates awareness and that's something that creates, you know, a, a bond between the travel and the, tra like the community being traveled. And I feel that's the most beautiful thing, I mean, Take pictures, whatever you want. Nobody is going to refuse you. 
Yeah, I, mean, it's, I, I it's really, something you are doing. I really respect that. I, and I think this is why I, I, I strongly push, you know, people who are new to a destination to actually engage in like small group right. travel. Because you're going to be able to, you know, connect more deeply with, you know, the, the diverse cultures and, you know, religions and, uh, you know, and how the social structure of that community is made up. Um, and I think it's so right. important to really understand what that foundation looks like so that you feel comfortable engaging or, and, or maybe not comfortable because I feel like a lot of people are very self, uh, you know, very entitled when they come to destinations. Sorry if like anyone's offended listening to this, but, you know, everyone kind of goes in uh, with, with, you know, stereotypes and expectations. But, um, you know, being able to build up that foundation with like a trusted source in destination helps you build a more meaningful connection. And um, you know, one thing I'd love, I'd love you to actually dive into before we start wrapping up is we talked briefly a while ago about, you know, your really cool programs. <laughs> and um, I, I really, I, I loved that they were so, um, uh, that, like that you had a very like specific focus for them. Because I think what's right. really special also is it's easy to get lost and like not really know where to dive in in like a, let's say you're like traveling from just like seven days, you know, you know, there's so much you could, you can do in seven days. And often we sometimes like let downtime get the best of us, uh, which is again, why I love, you know, people engaging in programs uh, while they're destination. But can you share, um, I believe we talked a bit about an astronomy one, I believe is the one you were telling me about. Yes. Yeah. So this was a program. I mean, this is a program for school students. I would say young students who are getting introduced into the concepts like uh, geology and astronomy you know they are reading it in books so we facilitated a program in spiti for a uh, for few schools so this program was key getting hands-on geology and astronomy lessons and so this happened like uh, this is how we pissed it key i mean before you know telling them what geology is what astronomy is in books bring them to the field so before their session started, before they even knew that they're going to learn geology and astronomy in the books this year, um, and the children learned about geology and astronomy hands-on in Spiti. So, um, and uh, as you already know, like Spiti and some parts of Ladakh, like they're one of the finest examples for geology and astronomy, like the finest destinations for geology and astronomy students, not just person who is just starting to learn these subjects, but even the person who is like doing the research on these subjects for decades. So when they, you know, when they held rocks, different kind of rocks, I mean, they themselves started picking points. Key, all right, this is the difference. This is more grainy. This is more smooth. This is very, you know, it breaks very easily. Shales, sedimentary, and these are fossils. So they even picked fossils in Spiti. And so this was the whole point of it, Key. Like before diving into the books, learn what's happening out there, what exists out there, and then you, you know, learn it in the books. Then you relate it with the books. Yeah. And there are a lot of such programs. Like as I have mentioned, I think I have mentioned it to you before. Like I'm really fond of experiential education and education outside the classroom, whether it's learning geology or farming or, you know, sustainable living or a minimal lifestyle. Ki how from the very basic concept, like how do you make compost in your household? So these are some of the programs that we are really excited about. And 
like hopefully once the, this entire covid-19 fiasco ends and we'll get to resume some of them and i feel ki more and more schools are going to get it come towards such programs because this is the need i mean one of the reason for covid-19 fiasco is our lifestyle has gone rogue to, to be honest yeah you know oh i snaps to everything <laughs> you're saying and you know i'm also yeah. huge huge a uh, believer in experiential education it's you know it's also how i even started my journey in social entrepreneurship like i didn't really know what i was doing but i just went with it and then realized that i had obtained right. all this knowledge from you know real world real life lived experiences that would never uh, have been uh you know obtained in a classroom like i mean i can't even remember true, the last true. thing i learned in a classroom and um it's funny that you know you actually it's great to hear you optimistic about the future of education and engaging more youth in experiential um learning because my biggest concern is now that you know we found a way to literally take everything online that we're going to get stuck in that pattern that is my fear um so you know i'm curious you know how I guess to I I feel like I could talk to you for like hours about right. all of this stuff because we have so much in common. <laughs> But you know, what Absolutely. We, what do you think we're we're expecting, you know, from uh, experiential education, experiential experience, you know, these experiential experiences. Uh experiential like travel and like transformative travel, right. sustainable travel. What do you, where do you think we're headed next, you know? What does that look like in our new normal so, after quarantine? Right. I'm not very sure like but I have a very strong feeling that experiential education is going to pick up even more. I mean uh, there are a lot of things that are going to be changed uh, like I I won't say that I have an idea of how travel is going to be like in future. I don't. But for experiential education or for the education per se like I would say ki I mean people are going to get more conscious about how their children grow, what they learn and that's where you know our education outside the classroom is going to come in and it's it's going to happen i have no idea about any other industry or but uh, like this is something that i you know i feel very confident about ki the future of education is going to change yeah it's definitely an exciting thing to think about um right. i was just told to go watch a uh, uh, brock obama did a a graduation speech recently apparently that where he talks about how this is actually the most exciting time because you know uh the the next 10 years like innovation in every industry is going to be just so new and right. exciting and different I mean, and it could take us anywhere yeah absolutely I mean, so it is great to say like we are at the point zero and this could take us anywhere this yeah. could take us towards a more sustainable future which yeah. is uh, i would say you know being a I mean being homo sapiens that is very unlikely but it could also take us to a future that we have seen in all those science sci-fi movies which I I feel is more likely to happen. Oh yeah, for but sure. It's see. it's like the most exciting time to be alive and also like yeah. the scariest time to be alive. Yeah. You know but the best part is there is always going to be people like us, you know, who stay rooted, yeah. who believes yeah. in healing from mother nature, who believes in you know the the role of nature the cycle of nature yeah there's always going to be people like us so yeah we'll be the rebellions of the yeah, future yeah we got to stick together yeah. that's for sure <laughs> exactly <laughs>
Oh, this has been so, so lovely. Thank you so much uh, for chatting with me. I feel like, again, we could chat forever. And I know that we're, we're due for a chat about, you know, all the fun ways that we can collaborate. But uh, if our listeners want to get in touch with you and learn more about Rural Odyssey, where can they uh, find, find you online? So we have a website, we have a Facebook page, website. Unfortunately, we have not been live in past, from past, uh, I would say one month or so. I was revamping the website and then my laptop, something happened and I couldn't do it. But yeah, there's email ID, there's phone number, what's Facebook and Instagram handle. I think you have all the information with you. I sure do. Uh, yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch uh, with Kush and the Rural Odyssey team, I'll have all the links in the show notes. Um, again, this was so amazing. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's so refreshing thank you so much, to talk with you about all of yeah, this. It was lovely <laughs> talking to you. Yeah. Absolutely. Speak soon. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> ha, feeling inspired? See what other impact stories we have to share over on carsartist.com. Be sure to subscribe for weekly updates from Grant and I about content, giveaways, and new episodes from Disruptors for Good and Impact India. Looking to learn more about social impact and conscious living in India? Hit me up on Instagram at Jasmine Ray. Cheers, friends. <laughs>